Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. This show is brought to you by Flatiron's Tuning, your source for any aftermarket or OEM Subaru parts. Be sure to check out our store at flatironstuning.com and stay tuned with Flatiron's Tuning. All right. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, uh, to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. This is episode number 98. Uh, we've got Dussex joining us here today, and we've got a special guest on the podcast today. We've got Lonnie Unser joining us. Now, uh, welcome, Lonnie, uh, to the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for making the time. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. Well, and, and what the reason, that, like the inspiration for me to reach out to you to come on as a guest was was seeing you run at Pikes Peak this year. So for the 100th running, you you were driving in the Pikes Peak Hill Climb, uh, watched watched your event, and um, which was which was great to see and wanted to hear all about that. And I want to get there, but I want to maybe start at the beginning uh, because usually the beginning is, you know, how did you find motorsports? What got you involved? But considering that you're part of the Unser family, I have a suspicion, which may or may not be correct, that then motorsports was kind of just kind of part of, of what, what your family did, or there's a lot of influence around. Is that right? Or Yeah. I mean, the beginning of racing for me was the beginning of my life. <laughs> so I grew up uh, going to the Indy 500 with my dad, what, kind of watching him race. I was only a year or two, but I was there um, when he was racing the Indy 500. So I, it's all I know, really, wow. uh, to an extent. I'll explain a little bit more later. But um, I can remember as a little kid being put in my dad's Indy car and just looking around thinking this was the coolest thing in the whole world. And since really since I could remember, I've been in love with the sport. Do you, do you have a lot of memories from your early childhood of, of going to races? Like, did, did you actually go with, with your dad as he was competing and whatnot? Yeah, I did. Um, the last race he did, I was about seven years old, or the last big race he did. I think I was around seven years old. And I remember it really well. He was racing the 24 Hours of Daytona. Uh, and, you know, I remember the whole thing. I don't really remember being like watching the race just because I was seven years old, but uh, still the whole atmosphere. I have a picture of me sitting in his car, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. So it's, it's always been a thing. And what's really cool is for the answer family being at the racetrack is our family reunion. So every, every year, pretty much we've tried to go to the Indy 500, you know, missing a few years in between here and there, but we go to the Indy 500, see uncle Al, uncle Bobby, um, Al Jr., you know, all of them. And it was, that was our family reunion. That's when I got to see them. And uh, one really cool thing that I remember, and I'd always brag to my friends about this, was uh, Uncle Al gave me a ride around uh, the racetrack in a pace car, in an official IndyCar pace car. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, he was my hero and I thought it was the coolest thing in the entire world. And, you know, I'd go back to school as a little kid, like, haha, I got to ride around um, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And they're like, I have no idea what that is. Right. <laughs> but, but it's really significant. And, you know, like a lot of kids don't get that kind of experience. I was super lucky in that. And I had these heroes to look up to. For sure. But, did did you always did you always kind of know that you wanted to pursue racing at that point, or is it something that you decided like that it wasn't even on your mind at that point? It was something you decided on later. I always wanted to race, but growing up, I grew up in Idaho, a small ski okay. town in Idaho. Um, it was never really an option for me, and I uh, ski raced as a kid, so uh, we would go on team building activities. We do like while we were away on a, on a ski race trip, we, our coaches would say, Hey, let's all go to the go-kart track. And so I'd be like, yes, this is my time to shine. (laughs) So I'd always like kick everybody's butts at the go-kart track as a little kid. And so I always knew I wanted to do it. uh, And I always kind of asked my parents and I'd always want to go to the races with my dad because he worked and still does work for the road to Indy. So I'd, I'd be at a lot of races growing up, but um, growing up in Idaho, it was never really a possibility. And then my parents actually discouraged me from going racing, which uh, is something people don't expect from me um, as an answer. They they know that the ch- that this sport is extremely challenging, and the highs are really really high, and the lows are really really low, and it's a huge financial cost. It's really hard to keep finding rides years after years after years, and so. 
they kind of, they didn't push it at all. Um, but over time, I think they realized I really wanted to do it bad enough um, and really had that drive. And eventually when I was a senior in high school, my dad came to me and said, hey, when I was your age, I got to go to a driving school. Let me give you that opportunity. It'll make you a better driver on the street because really the fundamentals of being a good race car driver are the fundamentals of good street driving. Um, So I went to the BMW Performance Driving School when I was a senior in high school and fell in love even more so than than I already had been. And I remember it was a two-day school. And after the first night, I sat there with my dad and I was like, I need to do this. (laughs) There's no other option. This is going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he was like, oh, gosh, (laughs) like you could tell him. You could tell the wheels were spinning in his head and um, kind of the rest is history from there. We came up with a program to run Spec Miata here in the Rocky Mountain region. And kind of, yeah, like I said, the rest is just history. Yeah. Went from there. I'm curious because it ski racing that there's there seems to be a lot of drivers that have some history with ski racing like like our owner and driver Scott Crouch he he was a ski racer all the way through college i mean is there are there any parallels like was there anything in lessons that you learned doing that 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 were applicable or you know directly or indirectly to to driving a car 100% ski racing is all about line finding um and you know i remember as a little kid that's how i learned about apexes uh, is ski mm. racing because you know you have to think about all that stuff and uh so that's a really huge aspect another huge aspect is the visualization so um when you're ski racing usually in gs and slalom you get you get to slip the course beforehand. You don't get to run the course beforehand. So all you do, and when I say slipping the course, it just means going through the um, race course really slowly, um, just in looking at it and inspecting it. And then from there, it's really important to visualize your race run. Uh, and I, so I started learning that at a really young age, uh, that visualization technique, which I now use uh, almost daily when it comes to motorsports. I find that visualization is a huge, huge tool in motorsports. And it's really amazing because I'll run a lap in my head and I'll time it. And it will be almost identical to the lap times I run in real life. And I found that that's really cool. It also really helped um, leading up to Pikes Peak uh, because obviously a really, really difficult thing to learn. And so visualization is just plays a huge role in my life as a race car driver. For sure. What about, I mean, it seems like the mental preparation for ski racing, like there, I, I would assume, or my perception of it is that there's a very large mental component to that, like the, the kind of like the pre-visualization that you're talking about, but also just being able to, you know, like run a course, but like at a very low speed. And then when you're actually in the gates and you go, now you have to basically officially run the course at full speed. And I mean, that's a, that's a crazy transition that, I mean, that's not something that everybody can do. And there's, there's kind of some parallels between that and racing, especially like a race like Pikes Peak, where you basically get to actually run the course one time. You can run pieces of the course and check it out here and there, but you only get one shot at the actual thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's I think when it comes to motorsports and any sport like that, which is also like ski racing, um, being comfortable with being uncomfortable is extremely important hmm. um, because racing is never really comfortable. You're never comfortable if you're pushing your limits. And it's a really good thing um, to be comfortable with that feeling. And it's the same when you're ski racing, you know, it's, you're at a speed and you're on the limit. Racing is all about being on the limit. And so is ski racing. So that's another really cool parallel that I always like to use. Sure. Well, and, and so you, you went and you did this driving school and what, what was like, what was it that got you? Was it, was it just, was it the speed? Was it driving the car? Was it feeling the car kind of like slide or, or what, what was it? You know, it's, it's a feeling like nothing else. You don't get the feeling of driving a car at its limit. Not that I was at, <laughs> at the car's limit when I was first learning, but there's just no feeling like it and the adrenaline rush and the challenge of it and the challenge of like getting just a little bit faster every single corner just it, I don't know what it's, it's hard to explain the feeling, but it just really 
<laughs> makes you addicted. And I think a lot of people who race and have driven in um, any sort of high performance manner really can understand that it is an addiction. That does it. Do you agree? Did you get, did, once you drove at speed, did that, is that what hooked you? I think I had uh, that teenage angst, you know, I, I'm sure it as a senior in high school, there's still that teenage angst, but you know, you just want to go fast. Everything's fun. And you just feel like, Oh yeah, it's cool. And have like quite the history, but man, once you're, once you're part of it and, and the more you do it, the more it envelops you, the more you want to do it. Kind of like you're saying, Lonnie, like getting comfortable in that uncomfortable position. It's, it's like an addiction for me. I it's like, Oh, can I jump that? Or can I push myself that next limit? Like it's, I, I, I get that for sure too. Totally. And there's just something so cool about being fully in control of a couple thousand pound machine. It just like, it's so unique, you know? So that's a, just another thing that I like so much about it, I think. Well, and, and it's so much different than normal driving too. Like there's, I mean, the, the feeling that you get in driving a car at speed on a track, I mean, it's, it almost has no or very minimal similarity to actually like driving from point a to point b it's it's a it's a whole different experience of what driving is like right totally it's so funny because you talk to people who don't know anything about motorsports or or our world in general and they think it's like driving on the street i swear um they think we're just kind of out there putting around and um you know i get it because there's there's nothing to compare it to really. Um, so it's, it's always cool to see people when they finally realize what it's, what it's really about and how challenging it is. Yeah, for sure. It, it's something that, that once you do it, you get it and you have this whole different perspective and, and it's not uncommon that it, that it grabs you when you, when you do. <laughs> yeah. You get the yes. bug. Yes. <laughs> That's indeed. What my dad mm -hmm. always said. <laughs> yep. Well, so, so once you, once you got the bug and, and uh, it sounds like you sat down with your dad and kind of started to put together a plan and then you started going out and doing uh, the MX-5 Cup. Is that right? I started off um, racing Spec Miata, which is oh, a Spec little Miata. bit different. Okay. Yeah. Um, more at a club level. And I raced in the Rocky Mountain region, uh, which was great uh, because I was going to school out here. I went to the University of Colorado Boulder. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it was just perfect. We'd race at tracks like High Plains Raceway, um, Colorado Springs, uh, Pikes Peak International Raceway, um, and all of those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dussex is actually door. there right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, they're no right way. now. Yeah. yeah, it's so great. Um, and it was really cool because we had a really competitive spec me out of field. And so that just made me grow as a driver. Um, and it made my racecraft grow so tremendously within the first year that I did it. Uh, it was the perfect way to start off my racing career. Yeah, there, there's a saying in racing, or at least we've talked about here that Miata is always the answer. So it <laughs> yeah. doesn't, doesn't matter what the question is, but it's you know, it's, it's a, it's a good way to get into wheel to wheel racing. Um, the car, it, it, it's a very similar set of cars. So it really is a, a series that kind of forces you almost to develop as a driver versus developing the car, trying to find ways to make the car faster. You have to make the driver faster. Was right, that, absolutely. Was, was yeah, that your experience? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's so underrated, uh, but it's so great. People who know, know. Um, I remember when I, when I decided that I was going to go race Spec Miata, I, um, you know, showed a picture of uh, the car to one of my friends and they laughed at me <laughs> and I was like, no, it's cool. I swear. Um, and, and I really just proved that after years of racing Spec Miata, it's just like some of the best racing out there in the world. It's so close and you're bump drafting and it teaches you just so much about momentum. If you make a single mistake while you're racing Spec Miata, you're getting freight trained by like five cars, maybe more. It's a horrible feeling. So it teaches you not to make mistakes, to drive the car on the limit and just, you know, get everything you can out of it. And again, that momentum is really important in Spec Miata. Can, so. you, can you say a little bit, just like explain in a little bit more detail why that's the case. Why if you make one mistake, why you would lose so many positions in a spec Miata? Yeah, I mean, everybody, it's such close racing, which is part of where it comes from. The second, it's a spec series, spec series. So um, it's all the cars are supposed to be almost identical. Um, you can do stuff to the setup, but it's very minimal. Uh, so it's all it's all about the driver. It's all about who's behind the wheel and it really because it's such tight racing such big fields that 
that's kind of what happens if you make a little mistake. It's just you get dragged back because then you don't have any power to mm. then kind of recover from that mistake. It's, it's because the racing is so close and one little like putting the car a little bit out of position, or making one wrong move, loses you just enough of that momentum that just everybody just goes right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, those those four or five people that come around you didn't make the mistake, and that's just that tiny that right. hair of a difference right there. And it's there's nothing more frustrating because you're just like, really, why did I do that? But it's <laughs> no. it's yeah, yeah, exactly. But it make that's what makes it so cool is it really forces you to be precise, which going up through. Um, driving more in different cars it's like it's the most important thing about racing is just being precise and it's a game my dad always says it's a game of inches um, mm. you know you have to be right on every single time every single lap every single run when and maybe just expand a little bit on what you mean by being precise it, just mm -hmm. because I think that that might be something that maybe is just not as clear to people. You know, you're driving around the course, you're all driving around the same course. How much of a difference can it make if you're taking a little bit of a different line to somebody else? Does it really make that much of a difference? It does make that much of a difference. Um, especially when the cars are so close and the racing is tight. Um, you can go into a corner and if you break a foot later than somebody else, um, it can either be a disaster or it can make it so you technically or it can make it so you win that corner, whatever, whether right. it's time, whether it's um, for position, whatever it is. Um, and then when it comes to just driving line and whatnot, sometimes like if you're off by just a little bit, it can have the potential to upset the car enough that bad things happen. Like you may take too much curb. And when I say take too much curb, just meaning use too much curbing, it upsets the car just enough that it causes the car to do all kinds of different things, depending on what kind of car you're driving. Um, so really when it comes to everything, you have to be very precise about your brake marker, your turn in point, your apex, your track, track exit, um, really everything. And um, that's what makes it so cool is to kind of strive for that perfection. Because when you're driving a car at the absolute limit of grip, if you're slightly off of where you should be, then the car won't be able to handle it. Right. And, and how did you, how did you develop that skill to be able to, I mean, kind of what you're describing there is to be able to replicate a, a lap, like probably strive or stay within a very close lap time um, and, and do the same thing over and over again. So you can run consistent lap times to hopefully stay in your position or make, make up positions. Right. It just like anything, it just takes a ton of practice and, um, you know, I, I'm super lucky that I get to be an instructor. Um, so I, I can, t I do teach at really cool driving schools like the AMG Driving Academy and like for B the BMW Performance Center. Um, and if you go to one of those schools, you know that the one thing we talk about the most is your eyes. Um, mm. And your eyes are the most important thing when you're driving and looking ahead. Um, because when you're going that much faster, you have to, your eyes have to go ahead because it slows things down for you. When you're walking down the street, you don't have to look very far ahead because you're not moving very fast. But as soon as you're moving faster than what your body's used to, you have to build that discipline to look further and further ahead. Um, and so really a huge thing is developing the discipline in your eyes to um, make sure that you're a better driver. And it takes a lot of practice. It feels very unnatural. Um, and I, I work with a lot of people who are beginners and it is just something that's very unnatural. And it's still something every single time I'm in the car, I tell myself, look ahead, look ahead. Mm. It's like, you can almost guarantee that I'm saying that in my mind. Um, so that's a huge thing. And then just, um, building the discipline of knowing what's coming up and, um, working on having markers. So when I say markers, it's like sticking to a brake marker very religiously. Uh, if you stick to a brake marker and you say, I'm going to break at this tree and you break too early and you realize that you're not carrying enough speed through that corner, then you're like, okay, I can break two feet later than that tree, you build it up in very, very small, maybe not two feet, but you mm -hmm. build, build it up in very, very small increments. Right. Um, and you're very disciplined with those markers. And then you have your turn in marker. Um, so where you start turning with steering wheel for the corner, and then you have your apex marker and your track exit marker. So 
these markers are just really, really important to build um, consistency in racing. And I think it's a huge skill um, that anybody can have is just being consistent lap to lap to lap. For sure. For sure. Well, and, and then the other, the other component of that I would imagine is racecraft. So like, so you've got to find the way to consistently drive the car around the, the track to, to be fast, to, to do consistent lap times, but you're also out there, you know, inspect me out with a bunch of other cars how how challenging was was that i mean that's it's part of my it's some of my favorite part of racing and driving is the racecraft racecraft aspect of it um you know it's it's so fun it's like a high speed game of chess i'm sure yeah. that's been said before um it really is it's like how can you outsmart the people that you're driving against and it also comes with being precise you know when when you're racing somebody, you're, you have to think about everything because these markers that I just talked about may change a little bit. And you have to be aware that because where you're placed on the track, you may have to break a little bit earlier, or maybe you can break a little bit later, depending on where you are and who you're side to side with and things like that. And there's just no other feeling of going 100 plus miles an hour, like within inches of another car. And it's just so cool. And um, bump drafting is super fun. Um, really cool to be able to use that team strategy aspect and be able to bump draft your teammate or whatever, use it to your advantage. Obviously in a lot of series, you can't bump draft, but I've been lucky enough that I've gotten in some series where you can. And I just, it's so cool. I, I love the racecraft element of it and it takes a lot to build up. Um, it's really hard to build your toolbox of, you know, different moves you can make and different, you know, things and ideas. And you always have to be kind of willing to shift and, and move what you're going to do. And you, but you also try to plan your moves ahead of time. And you also have to kind of analyze, okay, this guy, um, John or whatever does this and I'm faster in this corner than John, but he's faster in this other corner than John. But then, Mm -hmm. you know, Sarah is, faster there and there so you have to realize who you're driving against too which is kind of cool um because analyze what they're doing yeah exactly and when you're in a full season with people you can really understand um who does what when and where and it's it's really cool to to kind of build that over time um and figure out really try to figure out who you're racing against and use that to your benefit if that makes sense oh yeah well, in Dussex, we've talked about that. I think when, when you and Toss were talking about running lemons and how you were, you were able to make up or, or lose less time in traffic than he was and kind of came out that it was it was like how you maneuvered the car around traffic versus how he was moving around traffic. Which do you like do you like the racecraft element, like getting around cars, or do you like trying to just find like pin be pinpoint perfect to find the maximum time around the track? I think it's kind of both. I mean, some tracks, and, and Lonnie, you race at High Plains, so you can certainly uh, speak to it as well. But High Plains is like, there's so many lines at High Plains. And sure, there's like the ultimate fast guy line or whatever, but there's so much room to actually make moves and maneuvers. And 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 I haven't been fortunate enough to race any spec racing, but like when you're in situations in Enduros and you really, you got time, you could see the guy that you're coming up on with the other person that you're coming up on and kind of plan your moves you're like all right that car that guy does this or that person does that and and if he does that again i'm in there and if he does something different you know it's i'm not in there and i was actually kind of laughing thinking about the idea of how we're always taught to be predictable if you're going to pass somebody be predictable If you're doing time trials be predictable be that predictable guy on track but i was actually kind of just listening to you talking lonnie i was thinking like sometimes it's like that poker game where you're like you know what i got this this ace up my sleeve and that time you thought you're going to make that move on me not this time and right. sometimes that kind of happens and i wonder you know in that racecraft idea i mean with the track like high plains where you can drive so many of the lines versus like a track like i mean you you ran st pete there's not like a bunch of line options to st pete there's like a line and then there's a wall and then there's the marbles <laughs> you know it yeah. looks like there's a lot of options out there so you're really holding that one ace of your sleeve where you thought I was predictable and then you make this move and you gave me an opportunity to make a move. It's just, it's kind of interesting. I don't know, like listening to you talk about it and just, it's fascinating for sure. I mean, you're higher, way higher levels. Well, and I think that that, that, that 
that is another aspect. Like there's there's maneuvering a car and going fast that, that grabs you. But then like once you start doing wheel to wheel, that could certainly be something that grabs you too. Oh yeah. It's I mean, it's like I said, just racing inches from people. There's no feeling like it. And just the sensation you get is unreal. And you know, it's cool because um sprint racing is a lot different than endurance racing, but both have their a lot of strategy within themselves. So kind of before I was talking a little bit of sprint racing and you guys kind of mentioned endurance racing, which I also get, I'm super lucky that I can, I've gotten a lot of opportunities in endurance racing and being fast through traffic is huge. It is so important in endurance racing to be able to navigate the traffic, to be able to navigate the slower cars and then be able to have the fast cars not pass you in places that are really going to hurt your lap times, mm. um, which is something I don't think is is thought about enough. Like, oh, well, people may think, oh, well, fast cars will pass you wherever fast cars will pass you. But um, the case is really you kind of have to be strategic where you let them pass and where you don't because you don't want to give up their lap. And then it's their job to, um, you know, pass you where it's going to be most beneficial to them. And that's why it's a chess game. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it so cool. Um, and it's really not an easy skill to be fast through traffic. It's really, really challenging, but it's super fun. And you can, you can see a car way ahead of you and plan out, okay, I'm going to pass them here because I'm here right now. And, um, you can just kind of plan it and calculate it in your head as you're going. And it's just like, it's so different and, and so fun and it's different than sprint racing, which I love I love sprint racing so much, but that is an aspect of endurance racing that I think is so cool. For sure, and and that's one of the cool things about motorsports is there's there's so many different ways you can race a car. There's there's totally. all these different disciplines that you can explore and 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 develop. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's endless. Uh, you can race dirt. You can race rally. You can. It's just it's so cool because it's yeah. endless. But then. Also, the fundamentals always remain the fundamentals. It's all about car control. Um, yeah. To be a good driver, I think in anything you have to be you have to be really great at the basics, and you know that's why the greats are are who they are is because they could run anything. They could be put in anything and be fast. Sure, sure. Well, and, and let's let's move forward to when you started running in the MX Five Cup because that that kind of that's where you moved into running with a more let's let's just call it a bit of a larger team is that right yeah um mx5 cup is um for what it's worth considered pro racing racing is so different because really the only thing in racing that makes it pro versus not pro is the budget Mm -hmm. um because as soon as you step into pro racing uh the budget just climbs exponentially um so it's kind of a motorsports has its fallbacks when it comes to that kind of thing. But also MX five cup was really cool because it did take all of the bet, pretty much all of the best spec me auto drivers from around the country. And they, a lot of people went to the MX five cup and that's what made it so cool is it, it was just spec me auto on steroids um, in terms, the cars were a little bit faster. The cars were certainly quite a bit harder to drive than the spec Miatas. Um, I drove a 1999 spec Miata and then obviously the MX-5 Cup is the brand new MX-5, uh, Mazda MX-5. And uh, they're, I was surprised with how different they are to drive. They're hmm. both insanely fun to drive, but the um, MX-5, uh, the, the ND2 car actually um, is just quite a bit. It's, it's, a little bit twitchy like it's it's a little bit unpredictable and it does this thing where um when you're driving it you want it to take a set but before it takes a set it likes to slide quite a bit before it takes that set um and when i say set it means really just when the car sticks um and it's really hard for people to get that feeling of letting the car slide a little bit because they feel like the car is gonna get out of control but it'll slide just a little bit and then set um, which is really cool and unique and fun about those cars. And it's it's what makes those cars really difficult to drive really fast. They're hmm. easy to drive fast, but very difficult to drive really fast. Is that because there's just a little bit of an unpredictable element to it? Like you're, it, it feels like it's going to set in and, and, and give you the grip in the corner, but maybe it doesn't do it every single time? 
Yeah, exactly. That's that's really what it is. Um, and and it also just like spec, spec Miata, it's all about carrying that momentum. And it's the same thing. Um, if you make a single mistake, you're getting freight trained, and it's horrible. Right. It happened to me when I was racing the MX Five Cup. I just I remember getting freight trained freight train down the front straight and just like kicking myself um so but but also again like that's what makes it so fun do, do you feel like and it sounds like your your experience in spec me out really did set you up to be as successful as possible in that mx5 cup Right. Absolutely. I think if you can drive a spec Miata fast um, and an MX-5 fast, any of these momentum cars fast, it sets you up really, really well for driving fast cars fast. Um, because, you know, people talk about spec Miata being momentum cars, um, which is true. They are. But um, in my opinion, every single race car is a momentum car. Mm. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah um, it's, you know, you, a lot of people say, oh, rely on the power, but no, when you're driving a fast car fast, you have to take those elements that you learned in spec Miata to then go drive this other car faster than the other guy. Um, right. So I, I don't know that's been a cool realization that I've made um, going up through this sport. And um, it just, like I said, I think, I really do think if you can drive a spec Miata fast, you can drive just about anything fast. So it sounds like you would agree that Miata is always the answer. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Well, and, and we should mention that that team was Hickson Motorsports. Is that right? Yes. yes. Um, I Hickson Motorsports was absolutely incredible. Um, they, I got to be teammates with some really cool people like Celine Rolon, who is just wicked fast. And I got to work with Shay Holbrook, uh, who was the team manager, which was really, really cool um, because it's really neat to see women in those kind of roles in motorsports. Um, so overall, it was just an incredible experience. And just the team was my family, um, like most most of my teams are. But um, Hickson really, really embraced me and um, was there for my success. And uh, it was just was such a cool team and such a cool experience. So when you when you became a part of that team and, and ran, I, I think how long? How many was it? A season and a half, two seasons, or a few seasons? It was a. I I raced a season with um, Hickson, and uh, two years prior, I raced two race weekends um, with a team called Six Sideways, who no longer was uh, in the Mazda MX Five Cup in twenty twenty one. So um, I guess season and a quarter <laughs> okay okay well so when you're running that season with hickson and you've got somebody like like these other drivers and shay holbrook they can kind of mentor you is it something where you kind of you came in with a lot of experience and and you were kind of set up for success but then they were kind of able to really guide you or were you kind of left like to kind of do your best and just they were they were there if you had questions or how did that work no, they 100% guided me, just like they guided Celine, who was winning races at the time. Um, we had Shay, who obviously she has a tremendous background in motorsports and has raced a ton herself and is a very, very good driver. And then um, Andrew Carbonell was our coach, our dedicated coach. And so we'd sit down after every single time out on track with Andrew, going over every single detail and um, working on setup and working how to out how to find a tenth in each corner and um, just working on the minor minor details and I'd have you know like three hour long conversations with Andrew about how how to get faster and it was really cool because we really really dove into every single detail and that was one thing that I absolutely loved about that team is everyone was so passionate about it on that team. And um, we all wanted a lot of success and it really showed because Hickson has had a ton of successes and they had a killer season last year. So um, just really, really great experience. That's awesome. Did getting, getting plugged into that kind of environment, did that, did that kind of help you take your driving to the next level? 100%. Um, you know, like I said, we we're focusing on every detail. So I just became so much of a better driver uh, that season and um, getting to race against some really, really fast guys was really cool. And um, again, you had to be inch perfect and um, learning racecraft even more at, at a higher level than I did racing spec Miata, because at this level, um, you know, they're not going to let you get away with things, you know, like the person right. you're racing, they, 
they've been there, done that. So they know um, what works, what doesn't kind of thing. They know, um, they know, okay, well, um, they just, it's just a whole different level. It's just, you can tell it's, it's um, just, it's crazy. And, you know, making a single little, little, not even mistake, but um, when you're making a pass, if you're not within a couple inches of the car um, that you're passing, then, you know, it leaves the car that you're passing more of an opportunity. And so you have, it's just like very minor details that you have to pay attention to even more so um, than when I was racing Spec Miata. So it just made me really, really a good driver. And we'd watch every single race back. I've watched every race back multiple times, analyzing what I did, what I could do different, um, what I would do next time in that situation, maybe what I did good too. Um, And race starts were just crazy intense. Um, Like you could not, leave a gap like you couldn't leave the door open you really had to have your elbows up so to speak right. um, you couldn't let anybody get away with anything wow so it sounds like it, you had a lot of good guidance and you were spending just a lot of time doing a lot of, of homework and, and and really analyzing every every aspect of your driving at that point yeah exactly i mean i've spent hours and hours every week um watching video going through data driving on the simulator uh, i'm super lucky i have a rick motec simulator so i get to drive that as much as my heart my heart desires right and which is a really really good tool um because not only does it help you learn tracks but then also um when it came to racecraft and wanting to get better at racecraft you can hop on the sim and race against people um and learn different aspects of racecraft learn um you know just everybody's going to do something slightly different so the more experiences you get racing against people the more you'll learn and the more you'll be prepared for things. That That's really interesting. How, how much did you, like, when, when did you start using the SIM and how much would you say, how much, like, did you, did you use it a little bit at the beginning and use it more now, or did you use it more at the beginning and less now? Um, I use it more now, I would say, um, just because uh, at the beginning, you know, the simulator does have its disadvantages in that sometimes it doesn't have a racetrack you're going to, but, you know, that's not really a huge deal. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely started to realize more and more as my career has gone on how valuable of a tool it can be. Um, because really it's, it's so huge. I mean, I have some friends who have gotten their start in racing on the simulator and Mm -hmm. they were very competitive on the simulator and that afforded them opportunities in a real car. And they did almost just as well or even better in the real car that they, than they did in that they did in the sim. Um, So it's, it's amazing how much it can translate and just, we always talk about seat time, you know, Mm -hmm. as, as racing drivers, as um, you know, anybody in, in the sport talks about seat time. And it's a really great tool to get more seat time. And, you know, again, not everything translates a hundred percent to each other, but you know, it's, it's pretty close, but you know, you have to realize, okay, well, um, so for example, um, racing the MX five cup, I practice on the simulator a lot at road Atlanta in the MX five cup, um, in the simulator and through turn 12 at road Atlanta, which is this, fast right-hand sweeper down a hill. It's a really, really cool corner. Um, it was really easy flat in the simulator, but in real life, not so much. Oh, no. <laughs> so okay. so you can't always just go um, straight from the simulator to real life and say, oh, I can do everything exactly the way I did it in the sim. Um, it would be foolish to think that because, trust me, I've, I've been there. I've, <laughs> I've done that. I've made that mistake. So um, you you have to take everything. You use it as a reference and use it mm-hmm. as a guide saying, okay, well, um, you know, in the simulator, I could break at this point. Let me try to break a little bit earlier the first lap, see how it goes. And then you can say, okay, we'll build off that and build off. It's right. a tool to build off of, basically. Sure. Uh, it's a, it, Yeah. It's very interesting that that is such a big part of well, it, you were able to use that tool so much. It, it's something that it, it's really cool that it is as accessible now as it is. And, and it used to be something that only like the pro race teams used to have. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I talk to people who are just getting into the, into the sport, uh, I tell them there's no excuse to go to a track and not know it. Mm. Um, there's, you can't, it's, it would just be foolish to show up and, you know, be learning the track. Um, 
And like I said, uh, sometimes the tracks aren't always on the simulator, but using video is a huge, huge help as well. If, if you have a simulator and the racetrack isn't on the simulator, you can go to video and use video. And then how I do that is I watch a ton of video and then from that video, I start to visualize. Um, and that's what really gets me prepared. Um, the simulator really helps that process because it makes it a bit easier in my mind. Um, sometimes watching video can be a little bit difficult, um, but you know, the more you do it, the more used to it you'll get. Sure. Well, and so, so that, that brings an obvious question. Was Pikes Peak in the simulator? Um, it was on a Seto Corsa, which yep. um, is a little bit different than iRacing. Um, I, I personally prefer iRacing um just because it's it's very very accurate in my opinion um so pike's peak i relied heavily on video um i use the sim but um i i put my time and focus into the video um but actually that's a lie um mm -hmm. the thing that helped me with pike's peak the most is i live in boulder colorado so mm -hmm. i was super lucky that i had a home track advantage so leading up to the race months before I'd go to Pikes Peak and I would just drive it up and down, um, sure. which I do believe for that race is the best way to learn the road. Um, because, you know, there's things in video and things on the sim that you're just not going to be able to pick up. Um, like references, there's trees that may not be in the simulator. There's rocks, there's, you know, some corners are a bit more on camber than what you see in the video or on the sim. And so just, honestly, just going up there and driving it back and forth every day with the tourists yeah. was really helpful to me. Um, and that's, you know, obviously not feasible for everybody, but um, something if I, you know, something I'd recommend to somebody who wants to run Pikes Peak is take that time, um, invest that time, even if it's a couple times before you start running on the mountain, go up and yeah. just drive. Go up and down, spend a day. Yep. It's two. aggravating because the tourists drive very slowly. And yes. <laughs> and it has a makes very you want to rip your hair limit. out, but <laughs> very low. Yeah. But even with that low speed limit, I, I do believe that was the, the thing that helped most. For Pikes sure. Peak. Well, and, and how did you, how did you decide that you wanted to run the Pikes Peak Hill Climb? I mean, that's, you, you've, you've done a lot of racing, but I mean, Pikes Peak is, is kind of a whole different animal. How did you, how did you decide that you wanted to pursue this? You know, it's funny, obviously, all my family has run Pikes Peak and all my family has had a great success on Pikes Peak. And so it was always something um, when I started racing that people would ask me about. And to be honest, it would make me a little nervous because I did not want to race Pikes Peak. Um, I just was like, nope, I'm afraid of heights. I don't want to do it, mm. um, which is really quite funny. Um, but I guess the way the first little bit, how it started, which almost made me not want to do it even more was uh, I was racing at um, the Speedway in Colorado Springs, Pike, Pikes Peak International Speedway. And um, I, my dad had come out for that race and was, and we're, I was like, Hey, um, can you take me up Pikes Peak just nice and slowly as a tourist, whatever. Um, because I want to hear about your experiences. I want to see it just firsthand because it is so prevalent in my history. And of course my dad was like, sure thing, no problem. And we get to the W's and I am looking down the cliff sides. Like, I don't think I could ever do this. This is horrifying. Right. Dad, what were you thinking? This is crazy. This is, you were out of your mind. And he looked at me and he told me, he's like, Lonnie, when you're racing, all you focus on is the road. I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. That's a bunch of BS. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> mm -hmm. And then, um, and then last year I didn't have anything going on and the race happened to be going on um, that Sunday. And I was like, hmm, whatever, I'll just go. I'll see what it's all about. <laughs> see what this Pikes Peak stuff is all about. Um, and uh, I went as a spectator in 2020 and I, that's when I really started to understand. I was like, oh, this is actually so cool. Um, like these people are just roaring up the mountain in beautiful cars on this beautiful mountain, which is really the combination of the two things I love the most is being in the mountains and racing cars. And there's really no other place to do that like Pikes Peak. And so 
that day I was like, even though it still made me a little bit nervous, I was like that day, I'm like, okay, I know what I'm doing in 2021 on this day. And so it was kind of history from, from then on. I just, I started to put it together and it's funny because um, really the first run I got on practice, I was like, I meant to be here. This Mm. is, this is what I meant to be doing. Um, It felt really natural to me. It, It just felt like nothing else. So cool. Um, and you know, I, it was just really special for me because, um, going through all of, all of the process to get there of, oh, I'm afraid, oh, this might be really cool. Oh my gosh, this is so cool. Um, was really, really neat. And, uh, to have it on the hundredth running was just the coolest, coolest thing that I could have asked for. And definitely the coolest experience of my life. I will say though, the first run, um, crossing the yellow lines, I felt like I was doing something wrong. <laughs> it was oh, yeah. kind of a weird feeling. And then you also feel your ears pop on your way up, which of course you never do in a regular race car. And right. so just like a bunch of little things about Pikes Peak is what makes it so unique and so cool. I, I'm just curious because you have a, a, a father and a family that have raced this race. And you said that they were a little bit hesitant, especially at the beginning, to to encourage you to get into racing. Once you Once you kind of approached them and said that this is something you wanted to do, was there any hesitation there or were they 100% supportive of you doing it? I think when it came to Pike's Peak, they were 100%. My dad was 100% supportive and so was my mom. Um, because, And I think that's really because they knew that if I didn't mm. do it, I'd be asked about it my entire career, um, which, which is probably true. Um, and, you know, I obviously my dad ran it so he knows, you know, he knew to give me the right mentorship mm. to make sure um, – that it all went well. So, um, you know, I think, I think he was excited about it and it was, I could tell throughout the whole week, he was very nervous, um, but it was a yeah. very cool experience to share with him. Was it, was it something where you, it, I'm, I'm guessing that it was a good experience where he was able to kind of mentor you through that experience too. I mean, that's, that would be a pretty amazing experience to have a, a father that's able to offer that kind of insight. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we talked about it a lot leading up to it. And his his experience was a little different because when he ran it, he ran it on dirt. So um, it's not like we could really dissect a line and things like that together. Um, But really dissecting strategy together is what we did. And um, he he told me he's like, Lonnie, this even more so than road racing, this is a thinking person's game. Like mm. you have to think about everything. Uh, he said thinking bands, but I say thinking first, yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Yep. Um, and, and he's like this, you have to, you have to think about everything. And because this road is very unpredictable and you have to be so precise because you know, you don't have those like five, four, three, two, one break markers in every corner. You don't have whatever. So you have to, think about every corner and make sure that you know every corner really well. And that was one thing that was super important to me going to bike speak as a rookie was I am, I refused to make a mistake and end up in a bad situation simply because I didn't know the road. Mm. I know that that is the one thing that can really get people into trouble at Pikes Peak is simply not knowing the road because there are several corners on the mountain that look really similar to each other. Um, And so I was like, that's not going to happen to me. Um, And so that's why I drove up a ton of times and spent time on the sim and spent time watching video. Um, And that was really helpful. And it was helpful to talk to my dad about that because he could tell me some of the corners that people tend to make mistakes on because of not knowing where they are. And, um, you know, it's 156 corners. It's like, it's a lot. A lot. <laughs> so yeah, it, yeah, it's a lot to piece together, but it's, it's pretty cool because um, Pikes Peak is um, really divided up into three sections um, in terms of driving style of each section. Um, they do that in, in um, testing and practice is mm-hmm. you run um, each section each day. So um, first day of testing, you'll run the bottom section. Second day of testing, you'll run the middle. Third, you'll run the top. Or in whatever order, it doesn't matter. Um, and but it's cool because the the sections that are broke into are really um, there's specific characteristics of each section. Like 
the first section is pretty fast and pretty flowy and nice and smooth. Obviously, a lot of trees. There's a lot of um, break references, apex references, things like that. And the middle section is really unique because it's pretty short, but it's like a race between hairpins. Um, so you go fast. This is the W's you're talking about. Yeah, the, the W's, yeah. Um, which is actually nice because obviously that part of the road is the most visually intimidating, um, but it's actually the easiest part of the road. Hmm. Um, so that's cool about the middle section. And the middle section is just so iconic for Pikes Peak. You know, that's what people see when they see pictures of Pikes Peak. So I love I loved each section in its own way. Um, and then the upper section is just wickedly fast, wickedly bumpy with no references. So the fast right. is kind of evil, um, but it's fun evil. Like it's such a challenge, the top. Um, so it's just, it's cool to put them all together and, and really start to learn them in terms of their sections. And I was really lucky that I was coached by Jeff Swart, who's mm -hmm. raced on the mountain for, I think, 20 years now, which is absolutely mind-boggling and not only raced on a mountain for 20 years but really One. succeeded on them yeah. yeah yeah like is a legend up there and so yeah. um he would take us up every day and he would talk about the sections and he had a very specific method in um coaching and learning the track and it was very methodical and um he he knows every rock and every bush on that mountain it's just it's wild to me his knowledge and yeah. um so that was really cool to have jeff as as a coach and a mentor and um it was just such a great experience for sure i i'm curious i mean because you like you come from running spec beyond into mx5 and that feels like a natural progression mm -hmm. and now you're running pike's peak did you feel like you were prepared did you feel like this was a natural progression or was this something where it felt more like you were kind of having to start over and kind of learn new skills or, or whatnot to, to, to run this race? It was absolutely a natural progression um, because it's, Pike Speak is cool that people can come from all sorts of different racing backgrounds and succeed up there. But um, for me, it was really great because it, you just go back to the fundamentals and you break down every corner and um, you know, it's, it's all about being precise, like I said, and it's, you know, building that precision through my race career. I don't think I could have ever done Pikes Peak any earlier than I did it. I think it came at the perfect time because I've gotten to a place where I'm confident with um, my consistency and um, basically just my whole ability to run it and analyze it and learn it. So um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, for sure. So, so Dussex, I, I, can I, I think it's fair to say that you have designs on running the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Yep. Yes. Sorry, but you've never done it before. So as somebody that is that is thinking about actually doing this, what what question, like, what are you thinking? What what do you want to ask Lonnie about her experience? Uh, I mean, I, I'm more worried about building a car and trying to drive it and do the same and all at the same time. But I really like hearing the feedback because when you were in Boulder, that was still a two-hour drive down here. For me, it's like 24 minutes. So it's it's really confidence-inspiring, thinking like, okay, if I can get some seat time up there, get the GoPros mounted, drive it a bunch, go through it and look at it and stuff. I, I don't know. I'm excited about it. And I, I've had kind of those moments. You know, we talk about racing being highs and lows, and sometimes it's a depressing man sport or a depressing people sport because sometimes when you get to the top, you're like, I never thought I would get here. What's next? And, uh, and I've definitely had some of those moments earlier this year, like, man, this is like, you can't think about dying on it, but this is something that you could do that you could, you could really get you. And you can't think about it like that. And, uh, and so it's awesome to just see just how spry and fun you are and about, you know, like, yeah, it was sick. Like that was awesome. I'm, it's awesome to do it. And I don't know. I'm just, it just gets me more pumped about it. And, a little bit more calming too. So I appreciate that from your perspective. So thank yeah, you. Yeah. I mean, you should be pumped about it. It is like, do it. You have just, it's the coolest thing that I've ever done. And I've been lucky. I've gotten to do cool things. So like on a scale of really neat things and it's just, it, there's nothing like it and nothing else like it. And even just like the fans at Pikes Peak is everybody's so stoked to be up there 
And what I found that was also really cool about it was um, on that same vein, everybody is willing to help each other, which sometimes I find can be a little bit different in road racing, especially like more pro road racing as, you know, people kind of hold their cards close to their chest um, because it's so competitive. But at Pikes Peak, it's, it's really you against the mountain. And I think everybody wants success for each other because it is so high stakes. It is like you said, it can bite back and it certainly does. Um, so it's just the camaraderie beyond com- or amongst competitors and amongst um, people who are organizing the events, the event, people who are working the event, just everything. It's such a unique feeling and there's such like a buzz in the air. And what I think is so cool is like you can get teams that have these huge efforts, like million dollar efforts, but then you can get more like grassroots racing teams or smaller teams like I was a really, I mean, I was racing in the Porsche Trophy by Yokohama class. So I had a bunch of people to rely on, but I was really a one man team. Um, you know, I, it was me and, and my crew guy and every day. And, but then, you know, you, you get together and you work with everybody and it's just so cool. So um, it's, it's unlike anything else. So you got to do it. <laughs> yeah. And I'll and I'll root for you, and hopefully I'll be up there myself. Well, it, yeah, that was... taunts me every day. Every morning I wake up, it's still out there. It hasn't gone anywhere. <laughs> it's not one of those mountains that moves location. It's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. If no it, if tectonic it fly, flights that I'm aware of. If it could move around just so that the weather was a little bit more stable, man, that would be nice. Yeah, that's a whole other thing too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so that's. I mean, that's a. I guess the last question I have for you, Lonnie, would you do it again, or or are you going to do it again? Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's no question in my mind. Um, You know, it's all about finding um, funding uh, as, you know, that's our hardest thing as a racing driver is to find funding. But um, I, yes, I am pursuing it for many years to come and hopefully um, can maybe be the first queen of the mountain. You know, Absolutely. That'd be very cool. We'll we'll, we'll all be rooting for you. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, well, first... Lonnie, I just want to say, you know, thank you again for for making the time to come on and chat with us. And as we're winding down here, I did want to ask you about a, a group that you're part of called Shift Up Now, which you know, kind of kind of along the lines of of you know, basically getting getting more women involved in motorsports and and helping kind of put the pieces together to make these efforts happen. Can you can you talk a little bit about what that what that group is and what it does? Yeah, I'm really grateful to be a part of Shift Up Now. Uh, Basically, uh, at its core, it's to inspire confidence and courage in women in racing. Um, But also, it is to inspire confidence and courage in everyone as well. What I really like about Shift Up Now is we're really pushing the um, thought that men and women can work together in racing and really excel. It doesn't have, it can be an all-female team, It, it whatever, but um, it's, it's not necessarily about that. Um, I think all female teams are really cool and I hope to be a part of them one day, but, um, the point is that it just, it doesn't matter who's behind the wheel, who's working on the car, um, whatever it is, it's, we can all be successful together. And that's what I think is so cool. And the way that we kind of emulate that in shift up now is through our membership program program. So um, anybody can pay to be a member of Shift Up Now. doesn't matter if you're old, young, man, woman, doesn't matter. You can pay to be a part of Shift Up Now, and then you get access to a bunch of really cool webinars we do. Um, So we'll do a bunch of webinars like data in racing, how to analyze data in racing at the highest level or at at a lower level, just how to get into racing. Um, And then, you know, we have a lot of uh, partnerships, like we work pretty heavily with Saybelt, which is pretty cool, and other companies that members can get access to discounts through. Um, And uh, so we're really just doing a bunch of cool things and, um, you know, really trying to pave the way for women in motorsports. And we kind of do this through a core group of athletes. um, And I'm lucky enough to be one of the Shift Up Now athletes alongside Pippa Man. uh, Sarah Montgomery and just a ton of really, really cool women and women in all disciplines too. Like we have, um, some girls in NASCAR, some drift girls. Um, and so it's, it's really neat to be a part of and, um, just 
I've honestly made some of my best friends through Shift Up Now, which is really cool. And it's cool that we're all supporting each other and then supporting young girls as well. Um, you know, whenever, if I ever get a young girl come up to me and ask me for advice, I, I love to give um, girls in motorsports advice on how they can excel and succeed in this sport. Very cool. And, and if uh, we'll, we'll put up something uh, for those watching at home, uh, but there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of members of the shift up now group uh, doing a lot of different racing. Um, and one of the things that I really like is that there's a saying, or maybe it's one of the mottos um, of the group, which is if she can see her, she can be her, mm-hmm. which is, which is kind of just like being out there being present. Um, you know, you, you all doing what you do, you know, those little girls that are watching this, I mean, it's, it, it gives them, a role model to follow um, and, and, and shows that if, if she can do it, maybe I can do it too. Yeah. And it's really cool for me um, to hopefully be that for some people, because I had women who were that for me when I was growing up. So like I said, my dad would always take me to the races um, because he worked for the road to Indy. And at the time, Simona Di Silvestro was in the road to Indy. And I remember meeting her and she was just like, I was like, man, like, she's one of the only women in the field, but she's racing just as hard as the guys. Like I want to do that. I want to be that. So um, yeah, I just hope to be that for young girls as well. And um, hope to be that role model and somebody to look up to. From, I mean, how, how important is having a role model to look up like that? I mean, how, how impactful can that be? It's huge. I just remember for me um, it being so important and, you know, especially I think it's also really helpful to um, be able to get advice um, from other women in the sport too. So is the more we can support each other, the more women we're going to see in the sport and um, competing as equals, because the one thing that I love about motorsports and the one thing that's so unique about it is uh, the car doesn't know who's behind the wheel. So it doesn't matter. Um, So that I just think that's one of the things I love about this sport. Um, and yeah, just hoping to see more men, more and more women get into it. Very cool. I, it seems like there's been more women involved just, just in general, just generally speaking. And it seems like there's, there's, there's a little bit of an upswell happening and I hope it just continues. Yeah. So do I. Yeah. There's definitely more and more women excelling in the sport and um, definitely a huge push from teams and manufacturers um, Kelly Moss is doing a shootout, an all-female shootout, um, next week in at Putnam Park in Indianapolis, and I'm a part of that. So I'm really cool. excited um, to to drive that 911 GT3 Cup car um, <laughs> next next week. Um, so it's just so many people are being so supportive of women in the sport, and it's so great to see. For sure. Well, as, as we're winding down, uh, Dussex, any any last questions or, or anything that you wanted to ask Lonnie? I think it's super cool. I'm really impressed by you and, and just everybody who takes it, takes the sides in this day and age to wake up and identify as a race car driver and then see it all the way through is sick. So yeah, I'm excited. I, I'm really pumped for you and, and I'm pumped to do the same. So yeah, totally. I'm so excited to see where you, what you do with Pike speak and where you go as well. Yeah. So Lonnie, I mean, maybe what's on, what's on your horizon. You said you're, you're doing this shootout. I mean, is there anything like, where are where are your eyes set? What what are your some of your long term goals? Yeah, um, my my ultimate goal would be to race in the IMSA WeatherTech Series. Um, I find you know, open wheel is really really cool, um, and I would I would love to get into open wheel racing. Um, I'm actually testing an F4 car coming up in November. Uh, that I'm really excited about. It'll be my first time in an open wheel car. So I think I'll be addicted to that as well, unfortunately. But um, sports car racing for me right now is the goal. Obviously, if anybody was to come to me and say, Lonnie, hey, race um, a sprint car, race a NASCAR, race whatever, I would jump on it. Um, because to me, racing is racing. I love mm. I love all forms of racing and, um, you know, want to do it all, quite honestly. But, you know, you, at some point you have to pick something and have that goal in the future to work towards. Um, so, yeah, doing that and then going to that shootout, which will be super awesome. Thankful to Kelly Moss. It's really cool because um, it's a female team owner. Her name's Victoria Thomas, and she is just so cool. And it's really cool to see. And Kelly Moss is one of the 
most well-known teams in Porsche racing. So mm-hmm. um, to see her excel the way she does in her role is super cool. And I'm excited to work with her and I get to compete against my best friends, which will be interesting. Um, yeah. But Sabre, Sabre Cook, Sarah Montgomery and Aurora, Aurora Strauss are also finalists. So that'll be super neat. Um, and then hopefully Racing Pikes Peak again next year. Very cool. That'll be awesome. And definitely hope, hopefully uh, we'll see you next, next year. Do you think you'll do the Porsche cup again, or, or do you think you might do something a little bit more wild and out of the box? <laughs> um, probably not anything anybody would be surprised by, um, okay. hopefully in sports cars next year. Um, but I, you know, I've actually been really wanting to drive a sprint car here for a long time. So um, maybe I'll just put together a little sprint car ride or something. So okay. um, that would be cool. Well, I, I'm guessing that you might know somebody that has, I don't know, an old Indy car lying around that you could maybe <laughs> maybe put a cage in. And there, there's, there was somebody that ran one of those, a modified Indy car for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. A Pike Seek. Um, yep. Yeah. I, you know, hopefully I'll just get in faster and faster things going up Pike Peak. Um, the Cayman GT4 was an incredible place to start. It was just such a good platform to have as your rookie year. Um, because again, it was a spec class. So everybody was pretty similar. We can compare notes pretty exact and um, mm-hmm. the car is just handled so well. So to have a car that's that well handling on the mountain is really confidence inspiring. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Porsches have been such a dominant car up there in, in, in the sports car class. I think that's, that's definitely a good place to, to be. Um, hopefully at some point we'll, we'll have a Subaru that will take the fight to them. But yeah. What, one step at a time, maybe, yeah, maybe a you couple know, of Subarus, right? Dussex? that's right yeah (laughs) yeah it's cool to see all different kinds of cars up there it really is yeah for sure well cool well lonnie thanks again so much for your time thank thanks for chatting with us uh really appreciate uh you coming on being a guest and uh yeah just we'll we'll keep an eye out and, and see what happens next year and hopefully we'll see up on pike's peak yeah awesome thanks so much for having me you bet well thanks thanks everybody for listening really appreciate your support as always and until next time stay tuned with flatterns tuning Thanks everyone for tuning in to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. Once again, we'd like to let you know that your support is what makes this show possible. Be sure to check out our online store at flatironstuning.com for any of your aftermarket or OEM Subaru parts needs. And as always, stay tuned with Flatiron's Tuning.